they're facing doctor's appointments and some uh, uh, major decision making this week and so let's pray for those folk right now Father we've sung songs that remind us of the personal nature of walking with Jesus Uh, Jeff reminded us that as we considered the communion time and Lord we believe it without a doubt that you walk with us day by day as we've surrendered our lives to you Father, those that that have got medical appointments this week, we pray that your peace will be with them. Father, that you give the uh, medical staff, the doctors, the specialists wisdom uh, based on their learning and their knowledge that they might be able to diagnose and prescribe what's needed for good health for the people who are visiting the doctors this week. Father, those that have major decisions to make this week, some regarding employment, some regarding um, accommodation, Father, we pray that you'll, again, give each one of those people uh, your peace, uh, remind them of your presence, and help them to seek you out in the decision-making they have to do. Father, thank you that you remind us that uh, you're a prayer away. We can send those SOS prayers to you any time, and we can wait for your peace and your answer. Lord, as we come to your word, I pray about the letter that Paul wrote to the Ephesians and the other churches in that area, that, Father, you will speak to us once again. We know your spirit inspired him to write this letter. We have the privilege and joy of studying it together uh, and the freedom to study it together this day. So speak to our hearts and minds. More than that, Lord, impress on our hearts and minds of what your plan is for us, what your will for us, and how we are to live it out. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Did anybody notice anything different coming into the church this morning? Uh, yeah, there's a fan not working. Jeff, can you get onto that? It's too high. Anything else different about the building today? What is it? The sign. Yes. And a number of people over the last few weeks have come in and they said, there's nothing on the wall. There's nothing on the wall. Well, there has been a plan. It's just taken a little bit longer than what we'd hoped for because we're looking at focusing on the one in 2021. That's, that's Jesus. Focusing on Jesus, especially based on those, those passages in Ephesians 4, verses 4 to 6. And, and in this series in Ephesians, we are looking at the theme of being alive in Christ. If we focus on the one in 2021... What does that mean for us as we walk daily with Jesus? What does that mean for us as we uh, seek to follow him every moment of every day? Do you know what I've forgotten to do today, folks? I've forgotten to welcome those that are on Zoom with us. So welcome this morning and trust that you've been blessed as we've uh, journeyed through this worship service together. Last week we considered verses 1 to 6 out of Ephesians 1. We're going to continue on this morning with Uh, verses 7 to 14 in Ephesians 1. But I just want to remind us of one thing that we finished with uh, last year, last last week. It's been a long week, hasn't it? (laughs) Feels like a year. And that was Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6. Paul wrote this, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one that he loves. And I don't know if you've been reading through Ephesians this week, if you started that journey, I'd encourage you over this next uh, term, 10 weeks, 9 weeks or so to go now, read through Ephesians regularly. 
and just, uh, just don't trust what the preachers say up here, but hear from God's Spirit about what he wants to tell you as you read through the Scriptures. One of the other things that Paul is, is uh, passionate about, and he does very well in his letter, is that he gives all the praise and the glory to God, just as he read in that verse. And I think we've got to learn a little bit more about that. Let me tell you a story. When I was pastoring on the Sunshine Coast at Yandina Church, I had the privilege, uh, I think it was a privilege, of helping many young people find their f- first car or find a car. And uh, some of the families there, were uh, the, the kids didn't have dads with them. And some of the dads that were in the church were, were clueless when it came to uh, looking for cars. So cars is one of my passions. I heard a really good statement the other day. I went to visit someone and this fellow said that the, he, he collects tractors. And he said, the tractors are his passion, but they're not his priority. His priority is God and his family. And so I like that idea. I think my passion is cars, one of my passions. And so I was uh, privileged to help many of these folk uh, find their first car. And I don't know if you've ever been looking for cars. Some people hate looking for cars. Uh, but I, I, I marvel at the inventiveness of, of people who design cars, especially the little accessories that they put in that you find out about later when you get home. You know, uh, if you're a good car salesman, you, you point out all the little accessories but some of the car salesmen we went to weren't that good. They just wanted to make a sale. And I can remember one time, Cheryl may not remember this, but one time we bought a car ourselves. And when I got home, or as I was going through it later on, I started opening the glove box and opening the console and opening the engine. And my, kid, my kids had a saying, um, Dad must be wanting to sell the car because he started putting it all back together. Because um, I like to find out what was behind the door panels and to make sure the rust proofing was... Anyhow, anyhow one, this one day I found this in this car. I opened the um, console and inside the console was a little coin tray. You ever seen a coin tray, you know? Do we still use coins these days? Yeah. Anyhow, and this coin tray was just fascinated me because it was spring-loaded. And so it meant that when you put the coins in, they did a rattle around in there and you could just pull the coin out and the rest would stay still, you know? just fascinated me so I was excited I went home and I told Cheryl I said come and have a look at this come and have a look at this this little accessory in the car open it up she says yeah honey that's nice <laughs> and I think she was mumbling something about boys and their toys as she walked away but but I was fascinated and so I kept on looking for other things in the car that I hadn't discovered yet why do I tell that story I think because as Christians, as followers of Jesus, that is sort of what it's like for us as we walk with Jesus day by day. We see the things that are important to us, the big picture, if you like. Like Jeff was saying, the gospel, you can have the gospel in a nutshell, but as you live it out, it becomes more and more real and you understand it more and more. And I think Paul was trying in his letter here to, to help the believers of the day understand how incredibly blessed they were because of God's grace and mercy shown to them he says in this verse he was full of praise full of praise now unless you're a Greek scholar or you've read the uh, commentaries you probably wouldn't know this fact in Greek in the first 12 verses of chapter 1 of Paul's letter 
there are 202 words. Now, I'm not going to get you to go and count them at home because they are actually in Greek. And they form one very long, complex sentence. Okay? There's no breath marks. There's no punctuation marks in the Greek in this sentence. Now, now remember, Paul was writing this. He didn't actually have to speak it, so, so he didn't need breath marks. But there's a reason. That most of the commentators think there's a reason. Some people think Paul was just getting carried away. You know, he was so uh, amazed at God's blessings to us that he's just rambling on. Well, I, I tend to believe that God was in control of Paul. God was um, using him, inspiring him by the Holy Spirit. So I think there's a purpose for this. One commentator said that it, uh, Paul's first sentence in his letter was like a snowball rolling down the hill. As it rolled down the hill, it got faster and faster and it got bigger and bigger. And Paul writes in, these first, in this first sentence, what we have is 12 verses, how God has blessed us and what the benefits are of being a follower of Jesus. He couldn't contain himself. He was excited about it. And I don't know about you, but I remember being at one church uh, where, where we had a, a fairly large group of uh, Aboriginal people attending the church. It was great. And uh, one dear uh, Aboriginal lady came up to me after the service and she said, Pastor John, you preachers sound like machine guns. <laughs> bang, 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 bang. And um, she, she gently said, um, English is not my first language. And old Lily was the name. And I said, Lily, thank you for telling me that. If I start to get carried away, and I, know, I can understand what Paul was writing here because sometimes I get carried away. I said, you just wave at me from the back of the, of the church and I'll slow down. Uh, she had to do it a few times, then I got the message and I think I slowed down generally, except when I got excited. So Paul was saying that the greatest thing he could ever imagine was the blessings, the spiritual blessings that God had bestowed on him through his grace and mercy. And my hope today is that God, through his word, will remind us how incredible the benefits are of knowing Jesus and, how, and help us to realise how great it is being a follower of Jesus. Let's pray that that's what will happen. Father, help us to sense some of Paul's um, amazement, his awareness, his enthusiasm as he's writing this letter to anyone who would hear it or read it. Father, may we have that same aspect to our lives of knowing Jesus and walking with him day by day. We pray in Jesus' name. This is where Jeff touched on the sermon. He pretty well covered the sermon this morning. Can anybody tell me what the overall theme of the Bible is? Now, Jeff's already given us the answer if you're listening. What's the overall theme of the Bible? Sorry? Yeah, Jesus, the, the, they, they often call it the golden thread of the gospel, runs from Genesis to Revelation, but, but he mentioned something specific this morning. Somebody said it? Redemption? Who said redemption? Okay. I believe that if anybody asks you the question, what is the theme of the Bible? I believe the one word answer is redemption. And we're going to discover what that means. Because Paul speaks about it. He says, oh, here we are. in Christ we have the spiritual blessing of redemption. What does verse 7 and 8 say there? In him, talking about Christ, in him we have redemption through his blood, 
the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Redemption is the theme of the Bible. That's a word we don't use much, but we should understand it. Whether we use it or not, we should understand it. And one of the commentators uh, from last century, a guy by the name of B.B. Warfield, he made this statement. I'm not sure if I've got it up there. Yep. No. There we are. There is not one of the titles of Christ which is more precious to Christian hearts than that of Redeemer. We use the word Redeemer more than we use the word Redemption, but what do we understand by that? What do we understand by that? The first thing that comes to my mind when I think of the word Redemption is, I'm just looking to see if there's people here. Is Ricky here today? Can't see him. Cash for Cairns. Okay? Cash for Cairns is big up here, isn't it? And technically, it's a redemption centre. You take your bottles, you take your cans in, and you redeem the 10 cents per item. You buy it back. Well, they buy it back from you, if it, if it was the case. It's been a blessing to the men's shed. We're, we're averaging on 100 to $150 a week through donated tins and bottles, and that money comes back to the men's shed. So the, the recycling people, they redeem the bottles. 10 cents a bottle, 10 cents a can. So that's an idea of what redemption is. And, and they buy it back. So it belongs to them. It, it, we own it, first of all, but they buy it back. The entire Bible, from Genesis to Re, uh, Revelation, is about God's plan to buy back what? Not just us, but a relationship with us. Because the relationship was lost. It was broken. In the garden, in the book of uh, Genesis, we read that in the garden... Um, Adam and Eve had a perfect relationship with God until they disobeyed God, what we commonly call the fall. From there on, the rest of the Bible is the story of God buying that same kind of relationship back again. He wants, he wanted, and he wants still today a personal and intimate relationship with us, his creation. And so in Jesus' coming, we know that he has provided the way to redeem us, to buy us back, if you like, into the relationship before the whole thing got broken. If you want to find out more about that in a snapshot, Genesis chapter 2 and 4, verse following, talks about things, and in there you'll find these elements. There you will find that God and man commonly spoke together. And it wasn't just mankind listening to God, it was mankind interacting with God in a very personal way. That relationship with God was alive it was vital. It was why mankind was created. But Paul uses the word here in verse 7 and 8. I think I've got it up there. Oh. Okay, he uses a word in those verses which relates to the customs of ancient warfare. And in ancient warfare, uh, an invading country or an invading army would capture the people of that uh, country they're invading, and they would take them home as slaves. But some of those people that were captured were rather important people, and they were authorities in that land. And if they were important, then they had the option of being set free, free through a process called redemption, uh, whether they paid the invading uh, uh, ruler or leader of the army, we don't know. But, but certainly the slaves, who weren't so much important people, they had a, a process too that over time they could pay back their captors, their owners, and redeem their life. 
So Paul's using this term and it's a term that's always related to somebody being captive to something and then being brought back to become no longer a captive. They're set free due to the payment of the price that has been set on that redemption. And that's exactly what Jesus, what Paul is saying that Jesus has done. Jesus going to the cross, as we remember in the communion service this morning, has paid the price to redeem us out of sin and disobedience and to allow us to enter back into that personal relationship with the living God. So there are some results of redemption and one of those results is... There we are. Ah, provides forgiveness of sins. John the Baptist indicated this when he first saw Jesus coming down to the water. He said, Behold the Lamb of God who, what? Takes away the sin of the world. So the reason for Jesus coming was to provide forgiveness of sins, to provide redemption because of disobedience. Forgiveness means that God has no record of any, any of our past sins. And for some of us that have been involved in children's ministry over the years might remember a, a singer by the name of Jenny Flack. Uh, I think she's a British singer or Australian, can't remember. Anyhow, she wrote this song called No Fishing. And I think it might have been based on uh, what another person had said, but I found this, this uh, uh, illustration. One man put it like this. He said, It's kind of like God took our personal individual sins and bundled them all up and threw them into the deepest part of the sea and then placed a sign there that said, no fishing. Don't bring them back up again. That's what God does when he forgives us our sin. He remembers it no more. We might remember it because that's the way we're made, but God doesn't remember it anymore. And because of Jesus, we have total forgiveness of sin. But it came at a price. It came at a price. Remember that. Remember that this morning. It came at a price. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. The shedding of blood was the price that was paid for the redemption, for our redemption. It was a substitute for our death. You've heard this before. But this is the thing right at the beginning of Paul's letter that he is totally amazed about, that he's so excited about, not the pain and the suffering and the anguish, but that God had a plan. God had a plan that people would believe in Jesus, that he would be, they would be redeemed. Common thing, the shedding of blood and sacrifice of animals in the Old Testament, but, but, but none of that brought redemption. It brought a uh, acceptance by God, but it didn't bring redemption. In Hebrews, the writer says, it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Couldn't take away sins. 1 Peter. Oh, sounds right again. There we are. 18 and 19 says, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. We see that it was not with perishable things like silver and gold that Christ purchased our freedom, or our freedom from condemnation of sin. It was because of the precious blood of Christ. We are told that forgiveness comes when we accept and believe in Jesus 
shed blood for us. Some people think that they receive the benefit of redemption because of their own personal goodness. You know, if I live a good life, if I live by the, uh, the Ten Commandments and the Golden Rule and all that sort of stuff, then I should be okay with God. I've heard that. Have you heard that? Maybe you thought that at one stage. Or possibly they think, uh, gee, I'm not as bad as that guy down the road, so I should be okay. You know, I've heard that too. The bottom line, according to Paul's writings, and I think many of us experience this as well, is that Christ has lavished his grace and mercy and blessings on us without any connection to us having to do anything. No merit on our behalf. On our behalf. God has showered his grace upon us, the living Bible says. How does that work? I wonder if you have really grabbed that. Well, the story I read went like this. A pastor was telling his story about how he went to breakfast with his dad and his son. So there's three generations, dad, the pastor and his son. And as they were finishing their meal in the cafe, the waitress brought out the check when they did in those days. And then she took it away again and then brought it back again. And she placed it on the table and smiled and said, somebody in the restaurant paid for your meal. You're all set. And then she walked away. The pastor goes on, he said, I have the strangest feeling sitting there. The feeling was helplessness. There was nothing I could do. It had been taken care of. To insist on paying would have been pointless. All I could do was trust that what she said was actually true and then live in that truth. And that meant getting up and leaving the restaurant knowing the bill had been paid. My acceptance of what she said gave me a choice. And the choice was to live like it was true or to create my own reality in which the bill was not paid. Have you ever had that happen? I don't don't know if you've had that happen. Someone's paid the bill for you. But that's exactly what Jesus has done. He's paid the price of our redemption. And our invitation is we don't have to do anything. We can't guarantee our salvation. What we do have to do is trust that Jesus has accomplished it for us. That trust in the grace that God has given pays the bill. We trust in the grace of God that Jesus has paid the price. But there are other benefits as we look at this passage. It says, in Christ we have the benefit of knowing the real purpose for life. What do verse 9 and 10 say? And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ. To be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfilment to bring all things in heaven and earth together under one head, even Christ. We know the real reason or the real purpose for life. And that is God wants us to come together to know his will and to come together as one body before Christ. A lot of people don't have a sense of purpose or direction. Do you know some people like that? I come across them all the time. No purpose or direction in life. Life is just for today. And if today is no good, well, that's just too bad. There was a French philosopher a couple of uh, centuries ago wrote this. The universe is indifferent. Who created it? We are on this puny mud heap spinning in infinite space. I have not the slightest idea and and I'm convinced that no one has the least idea. If that's not hopelessness, what is? If that's not a sense of purpose, uh, no, no purpose, what is? 
a lot of people don't recognize God. A lot of people don't trust him and certainly a lot of people don't serve him. But Jesus said this, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. So we come to God with childlike faith. I believe that it overcomes that sense of purposelessness. James 1 verse 5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives to all men generously without finding fault, and it will be given to him. If these people turn from their hopelessness and purposelessness and ask God for wisdom, he would answer. That's what the Bible says. When God takes away sin, he doesn't leave us in a spiritual, a moral or a mental vacuum. He gives us things that we are to work out in obedience to him. There is purpose in life. He lavishes us with wisdom and insight. Things that we never knew before, he teaches us new things. He gives us answers that, if, that if mankind has been asking for for years. Why do we exist? Why do bad things happen? There are answers for that in God's word. He has made known to us a part of the mystery of his world. You know, there are still times when I don't know the answers to things, even when I search God's word. So I'm happy to put that in the mystery box. Maybe God will reveal it to me one day. But he has shown me some things that uh, I'm amazed at because they're questions I've had for many years. Paul says that there are things that are mysteries. But he also says that God is going to bring us together under Christ. And that's something worth looking forward to. In that verse that we looked at, I think it's up here. Yeah, he made known to us the mystery. And then ultimately all things in heaven and earth come together under one head, even Christ. Interesting, when you, when you do some background research to these passages, the little things that are left out sometimes in, in Bible translations. And here in the Greek, there's a word that really hasn't been translated in the NIV and a couple of the other uh, translations that I regularly use. And it's that word, again. And in fact, this is what it should be. To bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even again in Christ. Where did all things start in the beginning? Under one head, Christ. He was there at the beginning of creation. The world was created through him. Everything was subject to him. But because of man's disobedience, people went their own way. But now, God's plan is that everything should come together under one head, even again in Christ. Reunited in Christ again through redemption, through being brought back and that price being paid for. What does it mean? It means intimate communion with God always, never-ending. That's what it means. A third and final benefit of being uh, in Christ, in this passage, is that in Christ we have the benefit of being predestined to be a Christ follower. Now I mentioned last week that I was going to talk about predestination today and um, there may be a possibility that you'll disagree with me. That's okay. Uh, I'd love to talk with you about it. But I hope that I'm being true to God's word as I present this today. There's always something special being, about being chosen to receive a blessing, isn't there? You know, how many of us have received awards for doing things or even awards that we didn't anticipate 
for doing things. Uh, for me, uh, I think it was last year, last year in the Australia Day Awards, uh, someone had nominated the Carols by Candlelight event that we have at the end of the year as a combined churches for a community award and, and I got given that award and it was, I was blown away, unexpected and a real blessing to receive that on behalf of the team that ran Carols by Candlelight. But what Paul is saying is that we are blessed because we are chosen by God to receive that blessing. The sad part for me when I look around this world and see many people that aren't following Jesus is, my question is, are they not chosen? You know, those ones that are struggling? It's sort of like, um, I don't know if you've been lining up uh, with your mates to play a game and there's two teams being decided and you know everybody wants the best player. So all the best players get get picked first but then there's some little kids that just aren't good players I used to feel for them because they got picked last well it's sort of like that when I think of people that uh, are following Jesus and those that aren't following Jesus so what does predestined mean last week I mentioned it means marked out beforehand or to mark out beforehand and so the idea is that God chose us before time to be his I think sometimes the theological explanation of these ideas has confused people because that means, they say, that means God hasn't chosen some. What about those that God hasn't chosen? And in reality, God provides the way of salvation for all people. Does he know who will believe in him or who will not? Yes, he does. He's the omnipotent God. He knows the end from the beginning. But I believe he gives people the opportunity to choose him or not. If we see salvation as something that we choose for ourselves, I think we're mistaken. Because so many times throughout the scriptures, we're told that God drew people to himself. Now, there's that passage uh, where Paul says um, uh, that the gospel has to go out. Who, who will send... People need to go out and tell the gospel. Who will hear unless they've been sent? There's this argument that goes on about predestination that uh, extremists on one, side, one end say, well, if God knows who's going to be saved, why bother preaching the gospel? That's not where I'm at. <laughs> and other people say, well, God doesn't know who's going to be saved, so therefore we need to preach the gospel with all our heart so that some might be saved. I believe in preaching the gospel. I believe that it's a command of God that we need to preach the gospel so that those whom God has chosen can be drawn to himself can be drawn to himself and respond to the gospel. You see, the New Testament writers had an interesting way of looking at it. Their predestination for them is a way of saying that the whole of our salvation from first to last is the work of God. Would you agree with that? I do. That, that God has designed the way of salvation. He's provided the means of redemption through his son. He ultimately calls people to himself. Now, people can choose whether they want to respond to that call or not, and then ultimately knows how people will respond. In reading this, I was looking at a lot of different views, and one scholar says that we need to answer this question. How far did the human race fall? How far did the human race fall? There's a few views. Did, did man fall upward? And by that do I mean, is man getting better all the time because he rejected God? And some people believe that. Uh, 
evolution, secular evolutionists believe it, that, that, that man is improving in their way of life, getting better all the time. Hmm, I don't seem that, I don't seem to see that. Other people f- think that man fell part of the way away from God, but, but not the whole way away from God, so that he's damaged by sin, but not ruined. Some people believe that. Or did man fall the whole way away from God so that he is no longer of making even the smallest movement back towards God unless God first reaches down and performs that miracle of new birth in him? Do you remember the Michelangelo painting? Yeah, God's hand touching man's hand. That sits in my mind. God reached out to mankind. How? Through the Lord Jesus Christ. What is our responsibility? The responsibility says that even though people are dead in our, our transgressions, he still provides a way for us to come to that personal and intimate relationship with Jesus. Jesus said in John chapter 6 and verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. I wonder... When Adam and Eve disobeyed God and ate the forbidden truth, did they understand from that point on humanity would be eternally separated from God unless God stepped in? God did step in. He has a plan. His plan is that his own son would pay the penalty. His own son would be the ransom. His own son would redeem us back into a relationship with him. If God didn't know who was going to, then he wouldn't be the Alpha and Omega, would he? He wouldn't be the one who knows the beginning from the end. I wonder how many people have not yet heard of God's grace and mercy shown to them. I wonder if there are people that God wants to draw to himself, but they haven't heard because people haven't shared that good news of Jesus with them. We can have security in God's plan. How can we have security in God's plan? Paul says it in verse 13. I think I've got it up there. In order that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Who told it to them? Those that were sent out to tell them the word of truth. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. I don't know if those words conjure up any pictures in your mind, but that when it says that we, are, we have the um, promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance, to me that says God's given us a taste of what he has for us for eternity by allowing God's Spirit to come into our lives and grow and develop us more into the likeness of Christ, we will understand the fullness of his grace and mercy in the days ahead. What's your response this morning? Can you rattle on like Paul? Could you, could you uh, speak those 12 verses or whatever out of excitement and enthusiasm because you know the truth of God's blessing? You know the truth of that guaranteed Holy Spirit in your life? I hope you can say yes. Because Paul finishes that verse with to the praise of his glory he started that passage to the praise of God's glory he finishes it with the praise of God's glory he was excited about it he's excited about being alive in Christ and I think we have that same privilege in our day
We need to live our lives to the glory of God. And what does Paul say in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31? He says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And that comes out of a life that recognises we're alive in Christ because God's plan is for us to be alive in Christ. And we can get excited about that. Let me pray this morning as we come to the close of our service. Father, I thank you for Paul's enthusiasm. I thank you for the uh, promises that are in that passage already, the guarantee of the Holy Spirit, that we are guaranteed to be followers of Jesus. Thank you for drawing us to yourself. Thank you for the people who have been influential in our lives, who have had the, the, the burden, the passion, the commitment to share with us the good news of Jesus. Thank you, Father, that, uh, that they were obedient to you. And Lord, help us to be the same way. Help us to know without a doubt the truth that you've called us to, the life you've called us to. Help us to know without a doubt that intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus so that we in turn might be able to share that with others who have not yet heard that story, that they may know your grace, your mercy, your peace and your love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Invite the musicians and the singers to come as we sing a final song. I'm going to give Rolf a, um, a challenge. How are we going, Rolf? Down to that last song.